Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Hey, everyone. My name is Stephanie Hubka, and I am the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach, as well as a member of the pod squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. We also have Helena Hodges, the Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. Today, we are happy to invite Timothy Clark. Welcome, Timothy. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get into our topic, which I'm very excited about on the four stages of psychological safety based on your book of the same title, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Well, let's see. I guess I, I had a kind of a non-traditional career path. I went to school to be a professor and uh, graduated in in social science from Oxford University. That's where I did my PhD. But then I, instead of going into a teaching position, I wasn't quite done with my dissertation. So I jumped right into a, a, a position in business and industry, actually heavy manufacturing, if you can believe that. Wow. Hmm. And then that took me down a different course. And one thing led to another. And I got into uh, training and consulting. Uh, but I think I think it's been a good fit because of the research background. So because for those of us in L&D, right, you have to be able to bridge between theory and practice. Yes, you have you to be able to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And so I think having experience as a line manager and then trained as a researcher was a good thing. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and psychological safety is a hot topic. So can you That's start? what I've heard. Yes. It is <laughs> a hot been, topic. Uh, that's been our experience. <laughs> it's been yeah. our experience, yeah. yeah. So uh, can you start with defining it and then maybe just an, an overview of the four stages and then we can dive deeper? Yes. Yeah. So uh, l- let me take you back in history a little bit. So the the concept of psychological safety was first introduced by the great American psychologist, Carl Rogers in 1954. Mm-hmm. And he wrote an article called toward a theory of creativity, which is brilliant by the way. And for those who haven't uh, read that article, you should go back and, and, and just grab a PDF of it and read it. It's incredible. So he, he put it on kind of the research agenda way back then, but it, it was, it was um, slow to develop, mm. and then it has exploded since the pandemic. Yes. And so here's the way that I define the concept. It is a culture of rewarded vulnerability. Mm. So oh. what that means is that <clears throat> if we work together, if we interact together, actually in any social collective, human interaction is, a, is by definition a vulnerable activity. Mm. But we still have a choice as to whether we are rewarding or punishing Mm -hmm. each other's vulnerability as we interact. So psychological safety means that you are in an environment, you're in a culture where the prevailing norm is that I'm going to reward your vulnerability and you're going to reward mine. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, based on the empirical research that's mounting now, that is the single most important determining factor 
in the overall health and vibrancy yeah. of the culture. That's how important this is. In, yeah. in, my, in my mind, it's the biggest breakthrough in organizational mm -hmm. science in a generation. It's yeah. that big. Oh, I don't disagree. I don't disagree yeah. at all. And in fact, I'm still thinking about the fact that this field, you know, the, the concept of psychological safety really wasn't identified until the 50s, which seems right. so recent. When you think about yeah. the history of humanity and, and work, you know, kind of across centuries and across cultures. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to think that a lot of this is relatively new, you know, in the scheme of things. And I will say too, and I, I'd love for you, you know, I, I know Chris uh, had mentioned that you've got this fantastic framework and I'd love to, to hear a little bit more about that too. Um, but as you, you share that, one question I have too is thinking about the, the framework and the idea that it's really centered on the idea that we are humans first mm -hmm. and that we're employees second. Right. I would, I would love to hear a little bit about what that means in the context of the framework. Sure. Well, here, Stephanie, here's the question that I set out to answer yeah. that resulted in the book. So we had one research question and that, and that here's the question. The question is, if psychological safety is not a binary proposition, meaning you have it or you don't have it, that's right. It's a matter of degree. If so, if it's a matter of degree, then there has to be a pattern in the way that it increases. Mm -hmm. It can't be arbitrary. That doesn't make any sense. So that was my question. That was my research question. And as an organizational anthropologist, I set out to answer the question. So how does it grow? And through a lot of research with, and, and this was an anthropological study, meaning that it was based on depth interviews with many, many organizations, I identified a pattern in the way that it grows and delineated what has now become four stages in the four stages mm. framework. Mm. And so I'll just lay it out for you. So stage yeah. one, and this gets to your question, stage one is inclusion safety. Mm. And what that means is that you feel included, you feel accepted, you have a sense of belonging. It's not expensive to be yourself. Right. Yeah. Now, how do we know that's stage one? Because in the research, over 90% of the people that we surveyed and interviewed, both qualitative data and quantitative data, said the first, the first need that I want to satisfy is to be included and accepted. And I'll worry about the other needs later. I'll satisfy those other needs later. So empirically, the vast majority of the human family say, uh, oh, that's the, that's the first need that I want to satisfy. So this goes back to what you just stated, Stephanie, that we are humans first mm -hmm. and then we are employees second. Yeah. Right. We want to be seen and heard and understood and attached first. And then let's worry about the other stuff. Mm. So that's that's the beginning of the framework. That's right. stage one. That's the foundation of human interaction. Mm. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting, too, because so much of the dialogue these days is very focused on what it means to be inclusive, creating mm -hmm. inclusive cultures and environments. So in a way, I'm not surprised to find that the research shows that that's really where people are looking first. They want that sense of inclusion. They want to be in workplaces that will include them. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
And now yeah. we need to know the rest, mm. the rest of the stages. <laughs> sure. It let's do this. <laughs> let's keep going. So stage two is what we call learner safety. Yeah. And learner safety means that you feel safe to engage in the learning process mm-hmm. without fear of being marginalized or punished or mm. uh, j- just negative consequences that come in the learning process. So if you think about vulnerability as it relates to learning, there's an entire subset of acts of vulnerability that are related to learning, such as what? Well, asking a question, saying, I don't know, Mm. Uh, maybe giving and receiving feedback. How about trying something new? How about making a mistake? There's the set of things related to learning, set of of, of vulnerable behaviors related to learning. So, so stage two learner safety means that you can do those things and you'll be rewarded in the process mm. consistently. Nice. And it satisfies a different human need. It's the need for growth and mm-hmm. development and mastery. So we're in a different need category now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And very much aligned with what we know to be true of adult learners. That's Mm -hmm. what we are looking for. So I'm, again, not surprised to see the trajectory, um, but it it certainly makes a lot of sense. Well, think about learning. Uh, What we know from research is that learning is both intellectual and emotional. It Mm -hmm. really is. And in 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 the learning process, you cannot separate the thinking brain from the feeling brain, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're consistently punished, as you try to learn, then you become you. So, so you become emotionally estranged and then cognitively impaired. Isn't that mm. interesting? Yeah. So you're not going to be able to learn at capacity, but just, just, just reflect on your own life. That shouldn't come as a revelation, right? Yeah, we, right. we know that. Right. Then I'm so guessing. Should we keep going? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think we should. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> let's, let's keep going. Stage three, yeah. stage three is contributor safety, mm-hmm. which means that you feel safe and are given an opportunity to make a meaningful contribution. Now, what does that translate into in real terms? It translates into uh, a, an appropriate level of autonomy. Mm-hmm. It translates into role clarity it translates into support and guidance. And what need are we satisfying now? We're, we're satisfying the deep human need to make a contribution, to make a difference, to do work that matters, and to have an appropriate level of autonomy to go with that. Mm-hmm. So if, if we think back, stage two, learner safety is the stage of preparation. Yeah. Stage three, contributor safety is the stage of performance. So learning always precedes the creation and the contribution of value. Right. So we have to learn first. So those two stages, they go in a, in a circle, right? They yeah. cycle through again and again and that. again. We never, we never get off that. Right. Which is, which is beautiful. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so that's stage three, contributor safety. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll go to the fourth stage. The culminating stage is challenger safety. Hmm. which means that you feel safe to challenge the status quo Hmm. again, without fear of negative consequences, repercussions, reprisal, uh, retaliation. Now let's just think here for a minute. Um, Chris and Stephanie, 
Stage four challenger safety. Let's think about the nature of vulnerability when you're thinking about challenging the status quo. What are you, maybe I can ask you a question. What are you worried about? You're thinking about taking on the the status quo. What are you worried about? Mm, I think you're worried about a lot. (laughs) You're worried about about a lot. You're worried about almost everything. You're worried about your reputation. Mm. You're worried about whether or not you'll be accepted, if your ideas will be accepted, how that will reflect on you and your professionalism. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot that will go through your mind when you're making a decision to stand up and challenge something that has been otherwise accepted by others. Yeah, I think so. I'm almost thinking about losing stage one. If yes. you're looking at the ah, stages. Absolutely. <laughs> Great point. Great yeah. point. Losing stage one. The, the nature as we, as we interview, as we do depth interviews with people and we ask them, what are you worried about as you contemplate challenging the status quo? And it's, it's what you said. It's, it's status. It's reputation. It's personal standing. It's upward mobility potential. It's career growth. Yeah. It's their, it's, it's their very job. They, they think their mm-hmm. job might be on the line. Yeah. So think about the nature of vulnerability when we get to stage four. Yeah. Here's the paradox. Stage four challenger safety is essential for innovation. Yeah. Yes. Because innovation requires deviation. Yes. Every single time. Innovation requires deviation 100% of the time. So that means that we need an environment that will accommodate some level of constructive dissent. Right. And, and, and creative abrasion. We need to be able to take on the status quo. And that needs to be not only accepted, but mm-hmm. rewarded. So yes. here's the paradox. We go into stage four. People are very worried. They're doing the risk reward calculation about challenging the status quo. They're very worried about it. And yet the organization desperately needs them to challenge the status quo so that we can create this incubator of yeah. innovation. Right. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> you, you don't yes. you think. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Now, it's, can you have some of these uh, states, do they build off of each other or can you have like stage one, two and four and not have three or one, three and four and not have two? I'm, I'm trying to think of past experiences I've been yeah. in and, I didn't feel like I had all of them, but right, yeah. Well, Chris, that's a that's a wonderful question. So we use a psychometric scale to measure the level of psychological safety in each stage for a team, and we mm-hmm. measure teams all over the world, and we see different patterns, right? But the overall pattern is that you need there's a threshold requirement, mm-hmm. for example, in stage one inclusion safety to be able to go to stages two and three and four. So there is kind of a, there is a, to a certain extent, there's a linear progression. There's a, Mm -hmm. there's an accumulation as you go. For for example, think about it. If you don't have stage one inclusion safety, and I've done many interviews with individuals and I asked them, okay, if you, if you don't have that, tell me about how confident you feel to learn. Mm. The self-efficacy that you feel about that or to contribute or to challenge the status quo, it's extremely low. So you can see there's this interdependency. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I can see stage one is definitely the foundation for everything. Yes, Mm. it is. It is. 
I have been in situations though, where I felt maybe like I didn't quite have stage three, but I could see maybe a threshold of it. <laughs> right. But, you know, I still didn't mind challenging the status quo because I felt like I had one and two under control. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and to your point, Chris, if you have a high degree of self-efficacy, in other words, belief in yourself, uh, yeah. then at some level, you're going to be willing to muscle through the fear, even though you may not feel as much. Oh, that makes sense. Right. Challenge your safety as you would like, but yeah. you're willing to go for it. Okay, but what about everybody else? Yeah, they may not right. feel that way. Yeah, that right. makes sense. Yeah, I I love the idea of setting up organizations so that they can support people to grow in all of yeah. these ways. Realizing it doesn't happen overnight. Realizing that there may be people in different parts of their journey through the framework as they go. Yeah, I'm curious what strategies you've seen that have worked or what tips you might have for organizations who are looking to apply this, mm -hmm. knowing that they'd like their team to get to a point perhaps of challenger safety. They right. are willing to take those risks. They want to get to that place where people are innovative. What can we do to build the kind of workplaces that support people during that journey? Mm. Stephanie, wonderful question. So well, to answer that question, let me explain what 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 I call the the central mechanism of culture formation. Yeah, in any organization, on any team, across society, whatever the sect doesn't matter. The central mechanism for culture formation is that you do two things. The members of the team do two things. First, they model vulnerability. Mm. themselves, right? So think about it. Right. So Stephanie, you need to do this. Chris, you need to do this. I need to do this. Number two, we need to reward the vulnerability of others. So mm. those are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. You have to model vulnerability yourself and then reward the vulnerability of others. And as, as, as we have worked with organizations around the world, we cannot find any other mechanism. There's no other way. There's no shortcut. There's no workaround. There's no backdoor. This is the mechanism. So it comes back to you asked the question. So how do we get better? Yeah. You have to focus on this mechanism. And by the way, if you're the leader of a team, then you have a, a special role to lead out in modeling the vulnerability. You have a first mover obligation, if that makes sense. It does. And you can't delegate that to anyone else. And you can't even abdicate that if you wanted to, yeah. because you're by virtue of your position, right? So, so leaders, let me speak to leaders, leaders, you have to lead out in modeling the vulnerability. And then it's a lot easier for everyone else to start on the rewarding side, but you've got to lead the way. You've got to mm -hmm. model the way, if that makes sense. So that I would focus on that. And also just, just to remind everyone, that means that we're going down to the behavioral level, right? We are, we are going down to behavior. This is not conceptual. This is, this is behavior. Let me give you an example. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm the leader of a team. And we need more stage two learner safety. Okay. And by the way, we have a resource called the behavioral guide, which is free. Mm. And, and you, you can distribute that to your listeners if you'd like to. It, it identifies concrete behaviors for each stage. So let me give you one example. Stage two learner safety. I'm the leader. Ask for help 
from those of lower status, including your direct reports, in public. Ooh. That's, do you see how concrete that is? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do. That's what we're talking about. I love that. You have that. to get down to the behavioral level and you have to model and reward, model and reward. And then what happens is you gradually, you shift the prevailing norms on your team. And lo and behold, your culture mm. is transforming. So that's what I would say. Nice. How can people get a hold of those references? Or resources. Ah, yeah, just, yeah, just, um, just go to our website, leaderfactor.com and go to resources and it's all there. There, there's a lot of free resource, uh, free resources that are there, um, available to everybody. Awesome. Now, before we get to the rapid fire questions, is there anything else you want to share with our audience about the four stages of psychological safety? Yeah, I uh, maybe I could leave you a parting thought. Um, first of all, I think the two most important things that we're trying to create in cultures these days would be, number one, a sanctuary of inclusion. Mm. And that really focuses on stage one. And then number two, an incubator of innovation. Mm. If you can create those two things and sustain that, you're going to have, a, you're going to create an amazing place to work and you're going to create a place that has sustainable competitive advantage. Mm. So that's what I would say. Oh, nice. I think that is fantastic parting words to wrap up with. Um, and I will also say I have been a big fan of the resources that you have shared as well as your book. So just one final plug for everyone oh, who is curious yes. about learning more. Uh, I think that the work you have done has been phenomenal. I am also very glad that we are not quite done asking questions of you yet. <laughs> we love to wrap up our episodes with what we call our three rapid fire style questions. Each of these questions is designed for just a quick response, 60 seconds or less. Some people will say that they are the hardest questions that we ask, but <laughs> we're going to leave that up to you to decide. So what do you think? Are you ready for a little rapid fire? Uh, let's give it a shot. <laughs> we'll give it a try. I like that. I like that. We'll see how we go. First, question for you is give us one book that everyone must read and why. That's a tough question. I know. Okay. <laughs> I, I it's a really you. tough question. You. <laughs> and I would start with the four stages of psychological safety, of course. Yes. But but I thought about what, what else um, I could share. And there's a book um, that uh, I've recently read. It's called Belonging mm. by Jeffrey Cohen. He's a uh, psychology professor at Stanford. And I love that uh, because he distinguishes among these three concepts of bias and uh, prejudice and discrimination. And he says that bias is the thinking stage mm -hmm. and prejudice is the feeling stage, mm -hmm. the, um, the emotional stage. Yeah. And then discrimination is the behavioral stage. Hmm. Where you go when you're going down the wrong path, right? right? Does right. that make sense? Oh, yeah. So thinking, feeling, acting, bias, prejudice, discrimination—that linear pathway that takes us to places that we don't want to go. Yeah. Those the dis, the the distinctions among those three concepts to me is crucial. And so, as we're trying to become better human beings, mm 
and we're trying to uh, strip ourselves of anything that's negative or destructive, I think it's a very helpful framework to go through because we start with our, with our thoughts and our beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. That's the realm of bias. And then we go to the realm of prejudice where that turns into emotions and feelings. And then we go into the realm of discrimination where that turns into behavior and actions. So if we can work backwards and do some systematic reflection on on how we're thinking about things and um, maybe our socialization, our acquired socialization and our lived experience, we're better equipped to become more self-aware and to make unconscious bias become conscious and then to move it out of the way. So I love that. Uh, oh, I love that. Great recommendation. And I will say, I actually just ordered that book a couple of days ago. <laughs> it's not here yet, but you've convinced me that it needs to be the next one. We're on I the read. same page. Thrilled. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Well, that, that's fantastic news for me. So uh, how about one? Well, two more questions. Our next sure. one for you, though. What is one tool that you can't live without? And you can define tool in any way that you'd like to. Okay. One tool that I can't live without. Yep. <clears throat> so I, I have many, many tools that I love, but this one is, is what, and it's just a conceptual tool that I can share with you. It's what we call the uh, patterns of deflection, the three patterns of deflection. So when, when, when humans come upon a, a critical juncture in life and we, and we know that we need to change, right? Has this ever happened to you? <laughs> we, we know that <laughs> we know that we know that there's a little bit of changing that needs to happen, right? This is we are we are trying to progress, we're trying to grow, we're trying to develop as human beings. When we reach a critical juncture, a a a point at which we we know we need to change, we can do one of two things: we can change, or we can use one of these patterns of deflection, denial. <laughs> number one, blame. Number two, excuse. Number three. So, and we all we've all taken those. We've all done all three. Yes, right? oh for sure. <laughs> but to bring to bring it to a higher level of consciousness and just think about what am I doing? Reflect. Right. Take personal inventory unsparingly. Yeah. Am I moving into a pattern of denial or blame or excuse? Because often what it comes down to in life, the question of do I advance or not comes down to what do I do at that fork in the road? Do I change? Do I take myself on or do I self-medicate? (laughs) <laughs> with one of these patterns of deflection. Yeah. And I know that's a little bit of strong language. It's true. Though. Yeah. But it's true because there's you, you, we have two choices. We can either change or we can change our opinion or our belief about needing to change. Mm. You only got two roads. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. we all face this again and again and again. Uh, so I think that's helpful. That's been very helpful for me. Am I going to change or am I simply going to change my belief about needing to change, which is so yeah. much easier? <laughs> it's about whether you'd like to remain in the comfort zone or yeah. whether right. you'd, you'd like to see what's beyond it. So, that's right. oh my gosh, that is a fantastic choice for a yes. tool. Wonderful. Um, 
one more for you. Final okay. question of the day. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Mm. I reflected on this and it's obviously very difficult to choose just one, but I'm going to yeah. choose one piece of advice that's at the top tier of the advice that I've been given. Okay. Perfect. So when Perfect. I was at Oxford as a doctoral student, I had a professor that gave me a piece of advice that has stayed with me and it has been true. He said, the most important thing you can learn in school is how to learn mm -hmm. when you get out of school. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, that piece of advice yeah. has been more precious and more valuable to me than any fact, any theory, any other single thing that I can think of. And it has stood the test of time. It has, it has proved to be true over time. Yeah. So once you get out of a structured learning environment and you go off into life and you're in the workplace, whatever you may be doing, have you developed a learning disposition of aggressive, agile, self-directed learning? If I, if I shadowed you for a day or a week, would I see those patterns in you? Right. Or are you on educational welfare? Mm -hmm. Do you wait for the institution, the machinery of the institution to carry you along? That doesn't make sense. No. Right? Because how many jobs have you ever had or assignments or projects for which you were 100% qualified? Right. For me, zero. <laughs> so every time I have to assess the situation, I have to identify the gaps, and then it's up to, to, to whom to close the gaps. It's up to me. It's not the institution's responsibility. I am primarily responsible for my own development. The institution will forever have a secondary role. Mm -hmm. So once you internalize that deeply, you're thinking, hmm, uh, I, I think I need to figure out how to learn uh, when I get out of school and, and keep it that way. Yeah. So that's my piece of advice that I would oh, share. I love it. Well, and lots of learning for us. <laughs> so which we greatly appreciate. Yes, which we greatly appreciate. <laughs> and the audience. So, I mean, you yeah. know, the audience, okay, y'all learn too. But All of us. We learned us. a lot. No. It's a lot of <laughs> so, fun. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much, Tim, for joining us today. This oh, you're amazing. welcome. Thanks Aww. very much for the invitation. Oh, well, and of course, we want to thank our audience. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you a member of the Metro DC chapter of ATD? We have resources just for you. Go to dcatd.org and select the Members Only section of resources to access our digital library, member directory, and chapter documents. Want to network with other chapter members? Join the Metro DC chapter of ATD members on LinkedIn today.